Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right. Good morning, Trinity. How you doing today? Doesn't that just get your blood pumping? Think about it. Have you ever thought about what God has given us? Just the message of John 3.16, God so loved us. Sometimes I think we fail and we struggle in our faith because we forget Our faith is not just a bunch of rules that we follow. God put within our heart a cause, a divine mission to see people come to him. He's given us the opportunity to connect people, to move them from death to life. It's not just about spiritual superstars. It's about all of us, each of us. He gave all of us the same mission, the same plan, to spread his love everywhere. And he gave you all the tools to get it done. So what's keeping you from getting it done, right? It's good to see everybody here today. I'm Pastor TJ. I'm the lead guy here at Trinity. Welcome to everybody online. Um, I thank all of you here that braved the snow. It was kind of like the day after tomorrow. Those of you that navigated the one quarter inch of snow that we got, that shut down the state. Trinity, I salute you. You did it. It's funny how every, every different area is, man, different. We're in Wisconsin, foot of snow, no problem. Here, you know, quarter inch of snow, get the milk, get the bread, get the eggs, we're going to die. Right? Um, it's funny to me. But here you are, uh, we're in the beginning, the middle of our series actually called Love Like Jesus. Um, how many of you know it's hard sometimes to love like Jesus? You know what makes it hard sometimes to follow in your faith? People. Christianity would be easy if there were no people. Right? How many of you ever once to bear your soul with me, people bug you? How many bear your soul? Sometimes the people, they live in your house. I remember um, a few years ago, you, there's little things about me you don't know yet, probably. Uh, one of the things that you don't know about me is I am a, um, I'm a biker. So I love all bikes. I like pedal bikes, but my favorite are bikes with motors that you just, you know, you hit the gas and then you just go where you need to go. Here you'll see, uh, here's a picture of me and my baby. Robin is riding on the back of my baby. You see what I did there? You see what I did there? There's nothing better than getting on a motorcycle, just cruising around. This is me and my, uh, had a cow, Kawasaki 1500, a Nomad, beautiful, loud comfortable. I prefer like Kawasaki's to Harley's. Let me tell you why. I like to ride, not fix. That's right. I said it. I said it. I'd say it again. Now, if you got a Harley you want to give me, I'm not going to not take it. Um, so one morning I'm driving in Denver. I'm driving to, 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 to church on a Sunday morning. And you know, like, you know, we had this one main road that went through town, four lane highway. And if any of you, if you know how to drive, on a four-lane highway, you got, you got the, the left lane and the right lane. The right lane is for the slow people and the people that are just, you know, taking their Sunday drives, looking around. And we know the left lane is for the people that have to get where they're going in a hurry, right? You know, what, what puts more pressure on your Christianity than people that are in the left lane that should be in the right lane, right? So I'm putting along on a Sunday. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. The sun's up. It's great. I'm on my bike. I'm just putting along, and I'm thanking God for everything, and I'm smiling. I'm enjoying creation in the left lane. 
I probably should have been in the right lane, but I was, it was in the morning, it was early, so I'm in the left lane. I noticed in my rearview mirrors that there's a red minivan kind of revving up on me. Just, and I'm like, what is going on? It's a Sunday church day. I don't understand this thing. All of a sudden, this person behind me gets upset. They whip around to the right, and they pass me. And as they're passing me, I look to the, you know, the eyes lock with the driver. I look to my eyes, they look to them, and they, I look there, and right in the, the, the mirror or the window is the middle finger. And right behind the middle finger is one of my parishioners. <laughs> True story. As she's driving past, I see her middle finger and I see her mouth the words, Pastor? <laughs> it was awesome. This makes it even better. We're heading to the same place. So she drives up, I get right behind her. She makes it right into the church parking lot. I make it right into the church parking lot. She parks and I park right next to her. Because this is going to be a great Sunday. She gets out, she's pastor, I don't know what happened. I'm so sorry. It was the kids. I said, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. I get it. No, Jesus. May God love you and bless you. And I just walked right in. You know, let, let a little bit of that get on the head, right? Sometimes it's tough to live out your Christianity. Sometimes it's, it's hard to love people like Jesus, isn't it? Have you ever had moments like that? We know in our heads what to do, but sometimes it's hard to live out Christianity. It's hard to be like Jesus, especially when you live in a world that tries to shape you and break you and make you something contrary to the heart of God. You know this, beloved. Let me just, I'm sure you know this, but let me just remind this to you. How people treat you has no bearing on how you treat them. Do you know that? The second, how somebody treats you, if somebody treats you a certain way and it makes you become something you don't want to be, then they're in control of the situation. How people treat you has no, no bearing on how, you treat pe how we treat people. We show people the way to God sometimes by how we treat people that don't treat us very nice. Just because somebody's mean to you, that does not give you a free pass to be mean to them. That means that we need to show who Jesus is more and more and more. It's hard, hard to live out your faith sometimes in this world, but that's what we're called to do. Our world is full of brokenness. It's full of hate. And in all those things, God still calls us to love people like Jesus. So last week, we started everything off. We talked about you know, you know, what it means to love like Jesus, and we started everything off with this thought. You can't love like Jesus until you are loved by Jesus. You can't love people like Jesus until you allow God to love you the way that he wants to. Why? Because once you allow Jesus to love you, you can walk in freedom and you can walk in forgiveness. It's hard to give others something that you don't have. As believers, God gave us again the mechanism to deal with our own brokenness, our fallenness our sin. Repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness should be part of the life of every believer. We're always coming to God saying, Lord, please forgive me. And we're always allowing God to help us to move along. As believers, we need to understand and learn this. We've got to learn to let things go and move along. Today, we look at another way that God loves us. And another way that God has given us a privilege to love others. Today, we look at how God loves to make us whole. Do you know that it's God's heart that you're whole? That you're whole emotionally, spiritually, physically. What do we call that? We call that healing. It's God's heart for us that we walk and we're healed. God heals all the broken parts of us. 
It's funny to me. Sometimes we, 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 we think, well, God, you know, that's just for, for God just to come down and just heal and everything's great. Do you know that God has given that gift to us also as a church to pray for people that they would be healed, connected, and whole? How does God heal us? Well, he likes to heal us emotionally. He likes to heal, heal us physically. When you look at the Bible, the Bible is full of stories of how God would engage his people and heal them. We see Jesus opening blind eyes in John chapter 9. We see how Jesus healed people emotionally, how God would heal people emotionally in Psalm 34, 18. We even see how God gave this gift to the early church, to the church. And we see like in Acts 3, how God moves from just, it just being in the physical person of Jesus to the power of God, the Holy Spirit flowing through us to see people healed. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So what happens, have you ever thought about this? What happens when God heals us? What, is the, what are the components that we need present to see God heal us? Now, let me clarify something. When we start talking about components and things like that, know this, there is no formula to being healed by God. Why is there no formula to being healed by God? Well, because God is sovereign. Do you know what it means that God is sovereign? That means this, God can do what he wants, when he wants to do it, in the way that he wants to do it. Healing is completely in the hands of the healer. So where do we struggle with sometimes as, as, as people? Well, sometimes God chooses to heal people. Divinely, and it's incredible. I have seen people walk out of wheelchairs. People that I know. I've seen people experience miraculous things. I've also been with people where God said, my grace is enough, you'll be okay. Why does he choose to do what he does? I, I don't know. You know why? He's God and I'm not. Do you know that God is God and you're not him? I mean, you may be all that in a bag of chips, but you're not God. So we always defer to the sovereignty of who God is, but we understand this. God's ultimate goal is to, bring, is, is, is to make us whole. Sometimes he gives us greater tastes of that here on the planet. And then sometimes he says, son, daughter, it's time to come home. I remember in this process, you know, a few years ago, my mother battled cancer for, for eight years. Eight years. Her and cancer were like, it was like toe-to-toe. -to -toe. It was like Sugar Ray Leonard and Hearns. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember at the end, you know, my mom was, she was around until she needed to be around. And she said, you know what? He said, baby, it's, she said, my race is done. I'm ready to go home. I've, I fought my fight. I, I ran my race. And the day she took her last breath here, she took her first breath in heaven, I in that moment knew that my mom, who had, she was bedridden and all these things, in that moment she ran into heaven and Jesus embraced her and she was whole and she was happy. She had no more limitations anymore. Is there a greater healing than that? No, there isn't. But along our path now, God still from time to time speaks into our situation. He heals us physically. He heals our relationships. He does those things. And we pray for God to heal people, but we also pray, Lord, not our will be done, but your will be done. So why does he do it? What are the components of this? I think there's a story in the Bible that we can glean from that I think gives us some insight into God's heart and the components that are there that need to be active in order for God to initiate healing. If you've got your Bibles, look at Mark chapter 5. If you've got uh, our app, you can get my notes on our app. If you have the version of the Bible, look for live events, look at Trinity, and you'll get all my notes. It's a beautiful story. Mark chapter 5, verses 25. It's a story about a desperate woman. Have you ever been desperate? 
I mean, have you ever been desperate? Mark 5, 25 says this. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had not gotten better. In fact, she would gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can touch his robe, I'll be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Verse 30, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell at her knees in front of him and told him what he had done. This is beautiful. Look at verse 34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. What a beautiful phrase. To have Jesus speak to you and say, daughter, your suffering is over. What do we see in this story that helps us to understand why and how God heals today? Well, first we start with this. The posture of this woman. Her posture. Here we find a woman who understands suffering. She understood physical suffering. She understood emotional suffering just because of her condition. I know that as you read these words, some of you are here today, and you can relate to this woman. You can relate to the suffering. Have you ever suffered for a long time, and nobody can give you the answers to what's wrong? That's where we find this woman in this story. And to make matters worse, when it came to medical things, she was not living in a great time in history for medical advances. How many of you struggle sometimes with, with doctors and, and things and, and solutions, and maybe you've gone through a medical thing and they can't figure out what's wrong with you, right? You know, sometimes we even struggle with that today. Uh, I remember, um, and again, I'm going to talk about it some, oh, it's going to freak some of you out. You know, some of you are here, you got the vaccine, and God bless you. Some of you here didn't get the vaccine, and God bless you. I don't care if you had the vaccine or not. That's not my job. It's not my thing. I know this. I'm a diabetic, and I, I prayed, and I felt like, man, eh, something probably I need to do. So I happened to go in and get my vaccine shot. It's a true story. You know, and I'm a diabetic. That means this. I take five shots a day, every day, and then I take a big shot every week. And even with all that, I'm not afraid of needles, but I don't welcome needles. Does anybody here welcome a needle, the bigger the better? If you do, we're going to pray for you after the service. <laughs> so I go and I sit down, and Anne Marie happens to be there. She's getting her stuff too. And as I sit down, I'm looking at the size of these needles and stuff like that. And when I get nervous, I talk. You know you do things. Some of you are nervous eaters. You know, I, I've had this view on potato chips. To me, every bag of potato chips is a single serving. Whether it's this big or this big, we do not need chip clips in our house. We just don't need them. They don't exist. If you do, teach me. So I'm sitting down, and this guy is giving these, these shots. And I'm nervous, so I'm starting to joke, and I'm making humor. And I said, well, you know, I said, you, you come here often? He looked at me and goes, no. Oh, you're one of these guys. So then I just start talking to him about his life. So, so you know, how long have you been in medicine? Oh, I've been in medicine for a long time. I asked him, I said, what hospital do you work at? He says, well, I don't work at a hospital. Good to know. 
I said, well, are you a nurse somewhere? Somebody goes, no, I'm not in any of those places. I said, well, what do you do for a living that qualifies you to put a shot in my arm? He goes, I'm a veterinarian. <laughs> True story. I said, like, you mean you don't eat meat? He goes, no, I work with animals. And I said, what? He goes, yeah. He says, once you, he says, you know, whether you're, you're sticking a needle in a chihuahua or a human, it doesn't matter. I'm like, it kind of matters to me. I don't know what the dog DNA is. I don't know about any of that stuff, but I would like a people sticker person. Can I find one of those? None were done. And before I knew it, ah! Sometimes we struggle with, with medicine and things like that. Even today, this lady had it worse. Can you imagine being sick for this long in the period that she lived in? Are you ready for this? These are the top ways physicians in her time treated illness. The number one way was bloodletting. You're sick, let's drain some of your blood. Get the leeches. Another way they would treat sickness is cupping. And then, I thought this is great. Do you know the number one medicinal thing they used back in Jesus' day to cure things? Garlic. Can I get a witness? My wife doesn't like garlic. Now I can tell her I take garlic for medicinal purposes. Right? A little behind the ear. Keep the vampires away and all the other stuff, right? Can you see why this woman was desperate? What did she have? She went from doctor to doctor. All of them claimed they could heal her, but they couldn't. And little by little, her bank account started to drain. And as her bank account started to drain, her frustrations, fear, and anxiety started to rise. Her situation grew more dire she became more and more frustrated, more and more hopeless, more and more desperate. Have you ever been there? Have you ever found yourself in a place of desperation? I mean a real place of desperation. I remember a few years ago, um, I, played, I played sports in high school, played in college. Um, I'm still learning the realization the man that I am today can no longer do what the man 30 years ago could, could do. Now, sometimes I have to pay for that with visits to the emergency room because I still think I can play basketball and do those things. Um, so I was in my mid-40s. I was at the gym one day, and I felt a little, little, you know, little crick in my back. I thought, man, maybe I pulled something. I'll be okay. Let me, tell me, for those of you that are young, enjoy all of your years right now. Because, I mean, you know, it's something you pull your back, you know, playing, you know, basketball, you twist something, playing football. It's another thing when you, you, you rip major muscles, you know, getting up to take something off the TV. It's, it's Derek, is that not true? It's true. It is. So I remember maybe I just, I didn't know what it was, and, and I thought it would be fine, and it progressively got worse to the point where I had to see a doctor. I couldn't, um, I was noticing, I, I, I didn't just struggle with physical things, but I even struggled to stand and to speak. I could stand for about 10, 15 minutes before I had to sit down. Now, to do what I do, it, it's hard to do something like that and not be able to stand. So I didn't know what to do, so I went to the doctors. And if you've ever been to the doctors, they have their protocols that they have to go through. So the first thing they told me, well, you know, they poked my belly. They said, you need physical therapy. You poke my belly again, we're going to have other issues, right? So I went through physical therapy. It wasn't getting any better. And then they decided I needed shots. How many of you had a shot for maybe you did something in your back? You know, and if, you know, if you're afraid of needles... It doesn't matter. The needle's like that big, 
They set you on the table. They say, we're going to put this ginormous needle on your back right next to your spine. Don't move. Okay. I went through all that. It got worse. Didn't get better. So finally, I went to the doctor. They took pictures, and they made this discovery. They said, your back, there's no, between your L4 and your L5, there's nothing there. Your nerves are pinched, and you're not going to get any better without doing something. I remember sitting there with a doctor. You know, we was, the family was there. The doctor was there. The assistant. I said, what are my options? They said, these are your options. If you do nothing, within a year, you're going to be in a wheelchair. Or you can get major surgery. Those are your two options. Have you ever been desperate? Here I am in my mid-40s looking at the, you know, maybe losing my ability to walk and do anything. And you start thinking of stuff like this. Am I going to be able to, you know, walk with my grandkids or my kids? Am I going to be able to shoot a hoop with them, you know, swing a golf club, anything? Realization starts to sit in of all the things that you may lose. Have you ever been desperate? That's where we find this woman. Pain so great. We're not talking about inconveniences. We're talking about desperation. Do you know that God loves desperate people? He does. Why does he love desperate people? Because we have nothing left to lose. We have nothing that's holding us back. This is what Psalm 94 says. He says, I will rescue those who love me. I'll protect those who put their trust in my name. And when they call on me, I'll answer. I'll be with them in trouble. I'll rescue and honor them. I'll reward them with long life and give them salvation. When you're in trouble, as you reach out to God, he's there for you because he loves desperate people. Psalm 9.9 says this, the Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, O Lord. You do not abandon those who search for you. Sometimes we think in our desperation, when things go bad, that God becomes distant. Beloved, the exact opposite is true. The more desperate you become, the easier it is for you to find God. When we're desperate, we search for God, and he draws close to us. Why? Because desperation puts you in the right posture to receive him. When you're tired and when you're desperate, we come to God holding nothing back with nothing to lose. When's the last time you came to God holding nothing back with nothing to lose? When's the last time you came to God you didn't care what people thought about you? When's the last time you came to God and the only thing that was on your radar was being in connection with him? I got to get to you. I got to get to you, Lord. I got to connect with you. That's desperation. This is where we find this woman. She's desperate. She's exhausted all of her options. She has nowhere else to go. And somewhere here in her desperation, we see a shift. We see a shift. There's a spark of hope in her. Her posture changes, and she just goes for it. And she says this. I love this passage. You can go to the next, the next slide. She says this in 28. There you go. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Something in her shifted, not on all the misery of all the doctors and all the money that she spent. She said, if I could just get to Jesus, I'll be healed. So she pursues Jesus with this beautiful mixture of desperation and faith. <laughs> what are you desperate for today? How far are you willing to go to encounter God? How much are you willing to seek him? To see your life changed and in alignment with him. How desperate are you for him? Are you willing to push through the crowd like this woman to reach him? 
Are you willing to leave everything behind to go after him? Have you put all your eggs in his basket? How desperate are you? How desperate are you? Do me a favor, shut your eyes for one second. I want you to ask that question between you and God, you and the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. Ask him, say, Lord, how desperate am I for you? And listen to what the Spirit tells you. All right, let's keep going. By the way, we don't take these pauses for condemnation. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's so that we can be on the proper heading with God. We listen to the Spirit. But listening is only part of it. If you listen and you continue to be who you are with no change, if the Spirit says, I need you to take a step to the left, and you decide, well, I'm just going to keep going to the right. Hearing God is only part of the equation. You have to do what he's asking you to do which is what this woman does. You see, her desperation puts her in the proper posture. And because she's in the proper posture, she's able to receive his promise. That's the next, the next step for us. What is the promise? The promise is this. It's God's heart, his love. It's his nature wrapped up into his function. One of the things that the Jewish people did that was beautiful is they would call God not just by his name, but also by his function. One of the names of God, the Hebrew names of God is Jehovah Rapha. It means God that heals me, my healer. You know, we talk about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, but we don't, we don't say Jesus, we don't call him Jesus is my healer. Jesus is my deliverer. And sometimes we forget the nature and the function of who God is. But she knew who Jehovah Rapha was. So you see God meeting her through her faith and he heals her emotionally and he heals her physically. Look at the passage again. This is great. He says this. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Can you imagine? Can you put yourself in the place of that lady? Can you imagine what it must have felt like? Oh, something's different. How incredible to carry this for a decade, two years beyond that, 12 years, and to feel him finally touch you. Then the story continues. Jesus realized that once that healing power had gone from him, so he turned around to the crowd and he asked, who touched my robe? What do you think this lady was thinking in that moment? Did I do something wrong? Did I do something bad? The story continues. Keep going. Go to the next slide. His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman came trembling at the realization of what had happened to her. So you go from ecstasy to fear again, Right? says, she came and she fell to her knees in front of him and told her what she had done. Go to the next slide. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. That phrase just knocks me. Your suffering is over. This beautiful mixture of faith and desperation. Isn't it incredible? It's absolutely incredible. And she experiences God's healing. She experiences connection with him. Why? Because in the kingdom, in the kingdom, our, you know, the kingdom of God, it's faith that releases the promise. Faith releases the promise. It's more than just 
the words you read on a page. It's more than just the song you sing off the walls. It's faith that releases the promise. Why does faith release the promise? Faith is the thing that you take in the word, you take in those things. Faith is the thing that makes it active and real, that turns the key and moves moves the heart of God. Faith, again, releases the promise. You can't do anything in the kingdom without faith. Nothing. Nothing. You can't accomplish anything in the kingdom of God without the activation of your faith. This is what Hebrews eleven six 6 says. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You know what they're talking about here in Hebrews? Even the ability to call Jesus Lord, you need to take a step of faith. If you don't have it, you can't, you can't walk with him. Matthew 12, 20, or 21, 22 says this. And whatever you ask in prayer, you'll receive if you have faith. Faith is the key. Unlocks the powerful promises of God. It all comes down, beloved, again to this one thing. What do we believe? What do you believe? What do you believe God for? It's hard sometimes for us to believe God for the miraculous, for the impossible. Why? Well, they're not part of our natural world. But God loves to turn our world on its ear and do remarkable things. Sometimes we put our own limitations on a limitless God. Do you know that? Sometimes because we can't see it, taste it, smell it, or touch it, we think God can't accomplish those things. He can do anything he wants to do. He's the God of the impossible. He has no limitations. He has no limits. So what do we do when we find ourselves in places of doubt? Let's just be real. There's like, you know, between us and first service, and there's probably another couple hundred people watching online. Have you ever doubted? I have my hands up. Have you, have you ever experienced a shaky faith? You know, God, I believe you. Have you ever like, you know, let's just be real, man. Let's take another step. Have you ever doubted and faked it like you didn't? Have you ever noticed that it's easier to believe for somebody, you know, somebody else than it is to believe for you? So what do you do if you you know, have a shaky faith? What do you do if you struggle with doubt? I mean, how do we make this thing practically work? Can God still heal us and move in that way if we doubt? He can. There's an encounter that Jesus had with the father of a young man that I think gives us um, the understanding that we need in order to overcome our doubts so that we can experience the promise of healing. If you got your Bibles, flip over real quick to Mark chapter 9. There's a beautiful story that, 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 that tugs at me because I'm a father. As a father, what wouldn't you do for your child? You know, some of you, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the story today. You know, all of us say that we would lay down our lives for our children. You know, I, I had an opportunity a bunch of years ago to, to put that into, into practice. Where I had a thing with Ty and, and, and he was about ready to die and I was about ready to die because I wouldn't leave him. What wouldn't you do for your child? We see a beautiful story here in Mark of a dad that loves his son so much he's willing to do anything to see him healed. It says, when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some of the teachers of religious law were arguing with them. Verse 15, when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. Verse 16, what's all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so that you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. 
So after your disciples, I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Verse 21. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. He says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. That little phrase. How many of you have a button? That little thing, somebody says something, you're like, what did you say? Some of you have buttons with your children. When you say, I need you to do this, and they go, well, I don't want to. You know what the kid does? That's when they push your button. And then out pops the response. And then hopefully we see your children again. (laughs) The man unknowingly hits the button. It reveals where he is in his faith. Even as he talks to the Son of God, there's doubt. Look at Jesus' response. He says, what do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. Now look at verse 24. Look at the Father's response. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Isn't that our cry? I do believe in you, Lord. I really do. But every once in a while, my faith is shaky. Can you help me in my unbelief to believe for the impossible? It's easy to believe for God when things are normal, beloved. Do you have the same belief when you have no other place to go? Look at verse 25. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Verse 26 is this. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead, and a murmur ran through the crowd as the people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and he lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. A miracle. You have to love the heart of the father here. He loves the boy so much, he's willing to do anything, even humble himself. He admits his doubt to God. He says, God, you've got to help me. Our faith from time to time, beloved, gets really shaky. It's no shame to have a shaky faith. This is where desperation kicks in. You have nowhere else to go. This guy had nowhere else to go. I remember a few years ago, um, I had an opportunity to go to Cuba. I say a few years ago, it was like 30. It was illegal to go there. So when I went there, I knew that if something went south, I just probably wasn't coming back. Tyler was a year old. And I remember being in a village in Cuba. They weren't allowed to meet in a a church. And uh, we're there and it's night. I still remember it like it was yesterday. This this mom and dad, they, they bring this child. My Spanish is not good enough to kind of go into the deeper parts of Spanish. And I still remember this girl. She was as white as a sheet. And through the interpreter, we found out, and I was like, what's wrong with this girl? And she had, uh, she had worms. That was one of the number one killers of children. They just don't have medicine for it. And I remember the interpreter saying, if God does not touch her tonight, she's going to die. And I still remember um, the mom and the dad. I remember... The mother was just completely broken, and I remember the sobs of this guy. And as, as, as he laid her before us, you know, 
we prayed. I still remember him pulling at my, at my, at my, at my, my shirt, like, help me, help me. He had nowhere else to go. And I mean, I don't know where your faith is at, but I'm like, okay, Lord, um, oh, I'm not paying for, you know, praying for Sister Elphil's, you know, she had a bad earlobe, you know, they're piercing her ear and there's an infection. We're talking about life and death right here. And I remember getting down praying, and I remember praying, this is where my prayer went, Lord, uh, you, know, you got to, you, can you heal this girl? Lord, you got to heal this woman. You gotta, and I remember praying even stuff like, Lord, if there's something in me that's keeping this girl, get, gut it out. Anything you need to do to make sure this girl, you know, she's healed, and, and would you do whatever it takes, God, do whatever it takes. It was the desperation of the mom and dad that messed with me. And I remember they took the, the girl and they went home. And uh, we went back that night and we slept in these little bunk things. And I remember that all night I was just tossing a turn because I'm like, Lord, was it enough? Not me just having my son. I'm thinking, man, I, there's no way. So the next day we come back to the village and um, it's in the morning and um, up come running in this little girl's little blue dress. It's that chick, it's that girl. And there's color in her and she's alive. And the mom and dad came back and they just kept crying and they hugged us. And, you know, you don't have to, have to know the language sometimes to hear what somebody else is speaking. You know what I'm talking about? And it was ridiculous and it was amazing. And it reminded me in that moment that even in times when our faith might be shaky, it's that desperation that kicks in. And it, it's true. When you're weak, God can really impose his power through us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this, For when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. How desperate are you? How desperate are you, not just for you, but for the world that surrounds you? For your sons and your daughters and your family and your neighbors and your friends and your schools and your work and the world. How desperate are you? Are you willing to push through those temporary things that hold you back. Opinions. Little things. How desperate are you? Some of you are here today and you've suffered for a long time. I, uh, I told you some of my story. I'm a diabetic. I had a cousin um, just lost his leg. It's in, it's in my family. Just a few weeks ago. Uh, I take five shots a day. The one big shot a week. It looms in the back of my mind. Uh, I want to be healed. Not so I can eat cake and cookies, but I'm, I'd be lying to you if that wasn't part of it, Michael. How desperate are you? Some of you are sick in your body today. Do you believe that God can heal you? If you do, take a step of faith today. Come and pray with somebody up here, and let's just see what he does. How desperate are you? Some of you have family members, people that need to experience physical and emotional healing. Are you willing to come up and, and pray with somebody? What if God chose to use you to see somebody healed? Do you know God used a donkey in the Old Testament to speak his heart? If he can use a donkey, you, you, know, you qualify. How desperate are you? Beloved, it's time for us not to just say we're the church. It's time for us to be the church. What makes us different? The heart of God, the power of God beats in your chest. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Let it out.
see our world healed, see our world whole again. Let it out. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do something crazy. You have to love me, Jesus said you did. I'm just going to leave that right there. We're going to do something nuts. We're going to take a time. We're going to sing a song together. And then if you're sick in body, we're going to do something biblical. We're going to have people up here that are here and ready to pray with you. Maybe you need healing in your relationships. Maybe you need healing from the past. Whatever it is. Take a step of faith today and be healed. So do me a favor, bow your heads. Have one more conversation with the Holy Spirit. Ask Him. Say, Lord, what do I need from you? Whatever He tells you, take that step of faith. Don't be afraid.
Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.